Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Thank you guys for joining me. This is Ryan Kingsheim. I'm the founder of Game Art Institute, and uh, I'd like to introduce you to Akeem. Akeem, do you have your art station up? You want to throw that up just in, so people can see that? Uh, you can get him at artstation.com forward slash Akeem, and you can see his work. And Akeem came to my attention on ArtStation because of that last thing you did for level 80, Jade, which is really neat. But why don't you tell us, Akeem, what you do? Um, hey, everyone. I'm Akeem, and I'm a character artist currently working in games. Awesome. Where are you working? I'm working at Bulkhead Interactive right now, and I just recently left Rare to work there. Left Riot, you said? Microsoft Rare. Oh, Rare. That's right. That's right. All right. So you left them to go to Bulkhead? Well, I was leaving. It was a sort of strange situation. Not Mm -hmm. not anything terrible or anything like that. But yeah, I was was leaving, and then they happened to just message me about um, some work that I did. And then I was like, oh, perfect timing. That's great. I'd love to join. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's look at this character, if you don't mind. Yeah. And what okay. I want to answer in this webinar is I want to give people a sense of the class that you have coming up and within that context, what character arts is and what it's entailed in it, like all the software and, and the processes mm-hmm. and, and all of that stuff. So why don't we start by talking about your class, which is over mm-hmm. at Game Art Institute. What is it you're going to focus on? Well, for the class, because I did recently do this character and this got a lot of attention, I'm focusing on a character that's similar to her in mm-hmm. the sense of we're doing tons of cloth work. Um, it's a character that's there and they have a sort of subtle emotion. And then we're going to focus heavily on the presentation of that character as well to bring everything together and really make it work and be something that's viable for getting everyone jobs or just teaching you guys how to take a concept and make it just as appealing, if not try to make it more. Okay. What do you think essential for character artists to get done today. And what I'm thinking about here is a lot of the character arts tools have been around for a little bit. So yeah. how does somebody distinguish themselves today? You know, and I'm thinking about all my students, some of them who are here on a, on this live with us yeah. and on from that. I mean, how do they distinguish themselves today? Today, it's a lot. That's the thing. I think it's a lot less. It's not a lot less, but it's less about the tools nowadays. Mm-hmm. Because previously, you could just you could be the master of something, a new tool that just came out, or hair, or something along those lines, and you could be that person that then just goes along and gets that job. I think it's a lot more about what do you like to do, what do you do, and um, how do you present that, and sort of what do you do around that as well. So it's not just about oh, I made this nice character for a job for this portfolio. It's about outside of that, are you sort of constantly doing this? Is it something that you genuinely like? It can't really just be a job nowadays just because there's so many really good people to compete. It has to be, I'm doing this at a high level and I love it. And that comes across in my work and in my sort of communication, doing things online, showing people different things, tutorials, whatever it is. Got it. Not enough to do it just as a day job. You've got to show the passion for it. Yeah, because all the tools, I think that you could really go in and extend you in terms of a career are things like Houdini. That's really good to know now in general, um, mm-hmm. sort of as a character artist or outside of that. But then it's, do you pick the tools? Because the techniques and everything, like you said, they've been around forever. So do yeah. you pick the tools or do you pick the artistry? And then that's the sort of decision everyone needs to make now. 
So walk me through the process of developing this character. Well, firstly, I guess I'll start with the concepts then. Yeah. If this will open up, give us one second. Mm-hmm. So initially, whenever I start a character, the reference gathering stage, this stage is always pretty much the most important stage for me. Um, and this is going to chug because I have everything open, but I'll wait for it to catch up. The reason why this is the most important stage is it's sort of specific, but it's something that I've recently started doing, recently enough anyway, is that obviously you get your references, you get an idea of what you want to sort of communicate or why you want to do a concept, why you like it, whatever it is. You get things that spell out your concept, but then you also need to, well, if you're exploring a style or if you're doing something to try something new or even get a portfolio render, you need to compare your work. So compare it to things that are out there. So you'll see on this board, there's tons of comparisons. There's all of these females in games and there's a character that came out recently um, close to when I released this character and there's my old work as well. So the reason why this part's important for me is because when I initially start, I have this section of the board here where I have lots of other artists. This is sort of what I was aiming for. So I went for the best artist that did something that I saw myself slightly doing or a style that I wanted to try out. And mm-hmm. then I got all of their work to really see, okay, where am I pushing this? And yeah. then as the process went along, I went ahead and got other artists that are currently doing it and they're pretty much the creme de la creme, the top of the line, um, including like Horizon Zero Dawn. I went in the game and took some screenshots and sent back to myself. And yeah, this, this stage is the most important. Then obviously we jump into actually executing the character. And let me just jump into ZBrush. And yeah, so all I have, I just have this one open. I would prefer to show you guys the earlier model as well. But in terms of executing character, the high poly, obviously the high poly is really important. And yeah, for me, this one was really about feeling out this style of clothing and mm-hmm. feeling out what I wanted to do because the easy thing to do is go in and say, okay, I'm going to use Marvelous because that's the that's just the current in industry, which for other projects I have used Marvelous. Um, but this time I started and initially I started doing the sleeves, for example, and doing other things inside of Marvelous. But then I looked at it and I thought, there's no real point because if I want to get the feeling of this concept across, I need to actually hand sculpt it. Um, Marvelous won't give me the result. Or I could do Marvelous and then I could touch it up at the end, but it's double the time for not really much gained. Um, mm-hmm. I just control it. Um, should I go beyond ZBrush? So after this step, or do you want to? Yeah, I mean, and, and I want to dive into this as well. But yeah, let's stay up on the high level view. So you sculpt this all. This is like literally this whole thing is ZBrush. Yeah, point. all of this is ZBrush. Jesus, um, that's really awesome. And I do so even in this course, um, yeah. with the way I'm teaching, I'm teaching, I'm teaching everything. So previously, I prefer to go into Maya and do everything, but nowadays, I much rather stay inside of ZBrush and do everything pretty much. Right. So it, with the new character, I barely go into Maya to do anything. And for this okay. process, so I have Maya open, and it shows you guys that Maya for me is just the organization tool. It's where I keep everything, how I make sure everything's named correctly when I want to swap something in and out, for example, um, do new bakes, so on and so forth. So everything feeds through Maya, just like it would in production. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I rarely model in Maya, just because it's faster for me to keep my process inside of one program. So after you do the high poly, we then move on to the low poly, and this is our low poly model, um, including the hair and everything. So you guys saw it was just sculpted hair that was in the mesh before. And let me turn on wireframe unshaded. So I guess the important step here, one, one important thing is that um, students, yeah. they'll, they'll tend to sort of keep the body and everything else underneath the mesh. Nowadays, we do a lot of culling in games just because it avoids penetration. There's a lot of um, clove switching systems in games now as well. So you pretty much have to use culling to make sure everything works with that. But mm-hmm. 
yeah, get rid of the bodies underneath your meshes. Don't if you're studying anatomy for a project, then study anatomy, sure. But if you're making a character, a character is a lot more than anatomy. And I notice that students get stuck on that a lot. If the anatomy isn't perfect, they don't move on yeah. to anything else. I noticed that too. It's actually one of the biggest things I do is just keep shuffling people out of anatomy, which is so weird because I like spent so much of my early life teaching anatomy, but now I'm like, get move, move, move. You got to go. That's the thing. When I was, when I was developing, that was one of the most difficult things because I was under the impression that that sort of had to be perfect. And then I needed to move on after I finished that. But that's the thing within itself that it's not something that you can just say, oh, I'm going to develop a character and a perfect body as well. You sort of, you pick, do you want the character to have character or do you want it to be anatomically perfect? Yeah. Um, obviously, you can do both if the character's naked or something, but yeah. yeah. So this is the character's low poly. Um, for this character, I really went over the top and I, I just did everything. Let's say this is a LOD zero character, so the highest LOD you can get, or let's say LOD one. You can mm-hmm. you can go maybe a little bit higher than this for a cinematic character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's say this is a LOD one character. And this would be presented for some cinematics and uh, in-game asset when it's really close to camera as well. Okay. Um, but still, it's not very high. To be honest, the hair is, I think the hair is 21K. Let's see what hair geo. The hair is 21K tries. You can see how much this is chugging. Yeah, 24K tries. And then everything else is 75K tries. And most of that is comprised of the ropes. And that was just something that I said, I really want the ropes. I really wanted to be geometry, so I didn't mind the sacrifice. But you can see these ropes alone, they're 14K. Um, mm. All of this could have been optimized. You can see there's still a good amount of loops in the hair and everything else. Yeah. So, yeah, you guys can always optimize more. But you can see, basically, if I was to optimize this, this would be as low as I would go. But I'd definitely say for a portfolio character, you have leeway. What you're trying to do isn't to sell yourself to make NPCs. You're trying to sell yourself to make a hero character of a right. AAA game like God of War. So it's forgivable to do that as long as it's within bounds. I understand. Um, so this is not all one mesh. We're not worried about no. watertight 3D printing. Everything's no. there's interpenetration because you're going to have systems that'll swap out different pieces exactly. of clothing. So you need that to be more dynamic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're working with about 50,000 quads, you know, 100,000 yeah, yeah. triangles, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And um, 7,000 of those quads is in ropes. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So it's like twenty percent almost. Exactly. Um, and that but, could have been sacrificed. These could have been baked, but yeah. But then you miss it. At I mean, let's dive into that for a second, because the key thing is how do you make a difference, right? Because yeah. this is something I tell my students all the time. It's when people are looking at work, they're not looking at it with a critical eye of like. You know, is this good game art? Does, did he, you know, cross all his eyes or T's and dot all his eyes? And did he hit all the topology things? And I, most of the time, when people are looking at models, they're looking to be impressed. Yes, yes. They want to be impressed by you, so that then they can make your work look, you know, more suckier. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they're gonna ruin your work by making it lower res. But you don't want to do that job for them. So that, that's, no, what, exactly. that's what I like about this. Like you certainly could have baked those, those ropes yeah, in, but then there are certain areas where like from a certain viewpoint, you see the ropes like right on the shoulder, exactly. right from there. Exactly. You see that height and you, you, you can't fake that. Yeah, it breaks that sense of, it, it gives that sense of immersion that this isn't just the game's character. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'll do things like that. Mm. Uh, to, to sell that quality and then people are like oh that's extremely high quality then they see it may if this was to go in an actual game they'll say okay it looks a little bit reduced it would retain a lot of it but 
yeah, it's a different thing. You, like you said, you shouldn't be lowering your standard to fit that because the company will do that and the game will restrict you enough to do that. Right. Yes. All right. And then uh, eyelashes, eyebrows? Yep. So Veral here. Cards? Well. Yeah, Veral cards as well. Um, mm-hmm. I did have them on a plane, but then I just decided to swap them out to be on cards. You can teach them how to do that? Yes, yes. It's, you know, that's probably like one of the most confusing things for people, isn't it? What's that? Air cards and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's, it's not... It's not a process that's natural. For example, yes. with uh, some of my other models, I use XGen. That's a natural process. Yeah. They're just combing the hair away. It's, it's nice and normal. This isn't you're trying to interpret a concept onto cards, which is supposed to then be hair. And yeah, it, it isn't straightforward. Do you hand paint those eyelashes in, in the hair cards there? Um, no, I use XGen to generate them. Yeah. I've, been, I've been thinking about hand painting um, some of them, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. I just had an interview with somebody that was hand painting them, and I was surprised because that you know I'm familiar with the X Gen process yeah. that produces the most reliable results. But I was surprised yeah. by what you can do with hand painting. Yeah, no, I've seen some stuff that looked really nice. Uh, uh, the braid sculpted or um, the braid is geometry. So I made a piece of geometry inside of her um, mm-hmm. in in one of my other scenes, and then I made it into a a brush, an equivalent to a brush, and then I pulled that out inside of her and then just mapped the cards onto there and moved them around in the UV space until they worked. Okay, now that's, so you've gone high res, low res, next step is, I assume, UVs, so, right? Yeah, so we can look at the UVs in her as well. So I've gone to my low, and yeah, that's a, a good point. So let's go to the UVs, UV editor. And it's, with the UVs, it's important to say how we break those up, mm-hmm. um, what we're focusing on and what you want to look at in engine. And again, mm-hmm. games engines and games pipelines depending on your pipeline, they'll restrict you enough or they'll change your workflow enough. So when you're working at home, it should really be what you're comfortable with doing or what you enjoy doing the most. So for this character, I did it more like I was being restricted by a game, for example. So I just have extra things here. So those extra things are all these extra items that they sort of don't need to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, With this little rope thing as well, I just want to mention that this, so these are those, they're like little strings that hang down from this ornament type piece. But yeah. these, all these strings here, they're just baked into one plane. And then I just have these to break up the silhouette to give that illusion that, oh, there's a lot more going on, but there's really not. Okay. Um, so then with the assets, you can see I have all of these on one group. So this is just all of the body assets. Mm-hmm. And for this, I kept them on this group again because this was me more restricting myself. I could have just done the shirt versus the, the leather armor piece or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just squeezed them all into here. And these, I ended up rendering them out at 4K. If we split that up, each of these are pretty much on a 2K texture, which, again, that's perfectly fine yeah, um, if you're going to run it in-game. Yeah. So then we can go to the body. And for the body, it's mainly just head and hands because, again, we don't worry about the body if we're not going to see it. And in-game, that would be called out anyway. So I have the head texture here with the face taking up most of the space. And for the character I'm doing now, emphasis is on when you're laying out your UVs, really make the face take up as much space as it can. Mm-hmm. Um, even if that means distorting the skull because you're really not seeing that. So I would have went in here and even enlarged that face more with the lattice tool inside of her. But you can see everything's hair. And then the eyes get their own set as well. So it's important to split things up like this because I, even, I think it was just the other day, someone was splitting it up with, they were trying to optimize it enough and get the body and they mixed it with clothing assets and things like that. But it really overcomplicates things. For the next character, I'm doing this even less 
optimized like this. I'm just putting everything in one UV set. So the shirt will have one, the trouser will have one, the cape will have one, for example. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be split up because for current games, that's actually the best way of doing it. Because then if something isn't in view or if it doesn't need to be drawn in, you no longer have that UV space and that might be saving 2Ks worth of resolution. And for our characters, that's the easiest way to say, okay, do we want to up this to 4K? Well, now everything can be 4K or some things can be, you know, 512 if they're really small, so on and so forth. So you get the most versatility and you get the best performance that way as well. So that's how we're going to approach it next time. But yeah, everything's split out. You don't waste UV space. You try to squeeze everything in on the mm-hmm. map as much as you can. You reduce stretching. In my art, I'm sure all of you are aware about the new UV update that came in recently enough. There's, it's had this tool for a while to check distortion. You can check your textile density to make sure that if you tile any texture across this entire set, you have even textile density. So you don't have to worry about going in and scaling things up or things not working in substance or mm-hmm. you know something being low res. Um, but yeah, there's tons of tools that will go over and make sure you guys can be confident in laying out your UVs and know that, okay, when I get this somewhere else, it will work. And if it if I don't know the pipeline, I can make it work for that pipeline because I understand the basic concepts of doing this. Mm. And textile density is something that uh, I think it still throws people for a loop what that is. Do you have a simple explanation for that? The simple explanation. So if I, I think the simplest way to explain it is, let me put up this little checkerboard here. Mm-hmm. Let's press six. Oops. Give me one second. Uh, yeah. My PC. Okay, we're here. Ah. Okay, one second. Let me just change this. Oh no. Sorry, my PC is really chugging, guys. Not um, worry. Not worry. We got time. <laughs> An important question. Yeah, no, it is. So let me just ha- solo these. Okay, cool. So if we just select all of these, you guys can see this checker texture. Yes. Um, let me change the resolution of this. And I'm just going to change it up to about, let's say, 1K. So apply and close. And then we'll reload this. Everything again. Okay, cool. Well, I didn't go up. But basically, with textile density, this is what you guys are looking for. So let's turn off the selection highlight. So with these blocks, right, they mm-hmm. represent... Think of this as a pixel. So if this is a pixel or a bunch of pixels, this is showing you how many pixels can fit in this one asset. So you can right. see on a whole, these squares are basically evenly sized on this model. Now, yeah. if I was to go in and select this piece, for example, so let me select these bunch of pieces and then I scale them up. Now you can see that this pixel density is way higher than everything yeah. else. Mm-hmm. So now if I bring this into substance and I tile a texture across this, for example, if I have that, and I need to bake dirt out onto all of this because I'm using the cavity mask to mask it out on the whole character. Mm-hmm. Now, this area is going to have a lot higher quality dirt than everything else, and it's going to look weird. Or if I did that to the sleeve, now this area is going to have really high quality dirt. Everything else is going to look weird. So that's textile density. It, yes. It's just how much you can actually fit into that texture space. And you want to make sure that it's fairly even so that when you do something like tiling, which we use a ton now, or put procedural textures down, they work without you needing to manually go in and change things. Yeah, great. Awesome. That I think, and it's super clear because you just throw a checker on. Yeah, yeah. Because if you Google it, it's like, <laughs> there's been a million different explanations and then there's the show yeah, the real world scale and all that stuff. So no, that was perfect, man. Thank you for that. Uh, All right. And um, for those of you who are here live, if you've got some questions, make sure you throw them in there and we'll open up for Q&A as well. 
Michael is asking, would you scale it down because you won't see it? Yes, yes. So for example, if I have the inside of this shirt, if I need that to be a different texture, let's say I need it to be, I don't know, a black silk texture or red silk texture, I would scale that down and make that silk texture incredibly small because we we just need to see the reflection or the roughness value and the color more so than any details of it. So that would be a smaller texture. Okay. All right. So we've done high res, low res UV. Um, yeah. What's the next phase from your Now in Substance Painter. Is. So now we can jump into Substance and begin texturing, right? Is it safe to say that like Substance is the defining thing now for a character artist in terms of like, because I like to think of it, you're a digital sculptor when you're in ZBrush, but yeah. you're not quite a character artist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to get it into Substance or into some texturing before you make that transition from digital artist to character artist or digital sculptor to character artist. Does that make sense? Or I agree um, because I, I like to think of it in, in a similar way in the sense of basically we're productionized. If you can't work in that production in its entirety, then you're not a production artist. Even if you're missing the entirety of Substance Painter, you can no longer fit. You can only stay in one program, then you're not of much use because a lot of the times we'll do a stage and then we'll move on to another stage and then someone will have to go back and you'll have to be versatile in that team. So you mm-hmm. can't have one person do one thing and then sit around and um, bottleneck the entire process. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Now, actually, this might be useful because this is no, we don't need to go diving into this this next mm-hmm. topic I'm going to ask you because I know it takes you several ways from sideways. But you're separating this model out. Can I see your texture sets? Oh, yep. So let's go. Where are they? Here they are. Yep, so here they are. How are you creating those texture sets? So these texture sets, they're, they're baked down into the FBX file. Um, yep. So inside of Maya, we have different materials that's assigned to each of these groups. So when mm-hmm. I group my model, I mm-hmm. then lay out the UVs based on those groups, based on whatever assets I've decided to put in those groups. Yeah. And then for each group, I apply a texture. So you can see here, I apply these textures and call it body underscore material, cornea material, extra material, eye material, hair material, so on and so forth. When we export this model, so if I just select all of this model, one second. So if I just select everything and then bake this out as an FBX, the FBX recognizes each of those materials as the texture set. Got it. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. And it's one of those things people miss a lot. And it's so easy, yeah. but it's kind of, again, not, you had the perfect word. It's not a natural process. It's like, why do yeah. I create a material to create a <laughs> texture set, which is a group, which now I'm like, what? Exactly. Exactly. Come on, guys. Get together. Yeah, we, no. They all need to get together and conference on this crap. <laughs> and the reason why as well, one thing to throw in, I guess, is that a lot of people say FBX is better than OBJs and so on and so forth. It is, and it's because it stores a lot more information. In terms of being a file, it is just another file. But if we were to export this, one thing a lot of people say is that OBJs, in OBJs, you can't name your texture sets inside of Substance, but you can. The only difference is that it takes it from the shader group name rather than just the shader name. So instead of calling it asset underscore material, it's going to call this sword wrap underscore low SG. So it takes it from the shader group. So it takes it one node further Mm -hmm. down the line. So that's just something to say if you guys have to use OBJs or something along those lines, but just use FBX because it's easier to do those things with. Yeah, and it's FBX, guys. There was some FPS in there. It's FBX, which is an alternative... I mean, I totally agree with Hakeem because you can do OBJs, you can do a million, and they're all basically yeah. text files at the end of the day. 
Yeah, yeah. But OBJ is like 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, and <might> FBX well. <laughs> is old, but I mean, it's designed for production. So it has codified parameters. Yeah. All right. So when you're in here, you're in substance. This is an area where I think people get a little artsy-fartsy. They get a little bit tight. Mm -hmm. um, how do you develop this and take advantage of all the proceduralness? So if you're starting out with an aspect, what is yeah. your process for kind of developing leather or, or cloth or whatever? I guess, okay, so firstly, I guess it's important to say that while I'm doing this, I also have Marmoset open simultaneously. So I'm playing with lighting and texturing at the same time. Therefore, I'm not just looking here and saying, oh, I need everything to be procedural or I need everything textured. I'm going off of what visual style I'm going for and more of a feeling of the overall project rather than any technical need, um, especially yeah. for personal work. Yeah. Um, but when I start, the first thing I do is I jump in here and you can see all of these groups. So the first thing I do is I group the material. Everything's named in the same way. I always mm -hmm. drop down a base. So I always drop down a base or a color or whatever it is. And you can mm -hmm. see I have three files in here. So the way I actually work in Substance is a lot more similar to the way people work in Mari. But I still keep this versatility that you get from Substance. Yeah. The reason why I do this is because sometimes I prefer to just define the color first and define the feel of that. Then I'll take those maps, adjust the heights based on which layer I've picked, and adjust the roughness based on that. Because... The only difference with Substance and Mari for me is that sometimes, well, with Mari, I always sort of know it's a Mari render because with Mari, it takes a lot more effort normally. And you see that effort come through in the work. But with Substance, because the process is easier, a lot of people get a little bit lazier with it and you don't take advantage of everything that you really can. So that, that's the only difference that I visually see in people's work. But yeah, I break it up like this and I just keep on top of everything and make sure the colors work firstly. And then I get into all the extra dirt and detail and everything else. So you start with base. What's in a base or what's in a so color? In the base, it will just be in color. So in the color, we have our base color, which yep. is, let me, let me actually take something. Let me solo this one. Oops. So let's solo this. And uh, I have so many groups out here. Let's go with sword strap, da, 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 sleeve. Um, let's go with sleeve. So inside of the sleeves, I have my color. Let's turn off most of everything. Let's remember not to turn that on. Yeah, I'll help you. Medium damage is not on. Yeah. This is, that's an awesome amount of layer. <laughs> layers. <laughs> that's awesome. It's easy because I tell my students this all the time. There, Because there, there seems to be this, expectation that you should be able to do it with a couple of layers but everybody i know that produces awesome um work <laughs> is like sure it's chaos you know i mean it's controlled yeah, but it's, yeah. like, it's like tens of dozens of layers there's just again it's that whole limiting factor right when when you're working you feel the need to do this because you're like you're thinking in a production other people aren't going to be doing this and i might be yeah. doing too much or i might be wasting yeah. it but it's yeah. honestly some people are still using Photoshop to texture and they're still coming out with brilliant results. The point isn't to stick to any type of norm or convention. The point is to make really good quality work. Don't waste the space on your PC. By no means am I saying that. Still work in an optimized, organized way, but still go for the result. So with this, I start with my base color here. And the base color will just be a flat color. Now with this color, I have a paint layer on as well. So I'll just go in and I'll add different strokes to add variation. And you can see that this looks very similar to the end result. Also, actually, I'll touch on this later on, but I need to take off this blend layer and the mask layer. 
which I have on top of everything after I finish to tie everything together. Oh, um, fantastic. You did like a global, a global noise. Exactly. Or global nice. dirt or things to just unify everything and ground it. Um, but with this base there, you can see this is how it's looking. So let me just go and see. And a lot of the times when I'm working, I, I just go into this mode so I can yeah. just see flat color, the diffuse color without any lighting information. Because when you look at diffuse color without lighting information, the only difference is the roughness or specularity of it. It still needs to read as that material, even with just a flat diffuse. Um, yeah. So I find that important. So I have the base color, then I have a gradient because gradients for things like this is natural things, but especially for this that has a style to it, you want to add gradients to break objects up because this color and the color of this chess piece, it's the same color, but you don't want it to really read as that, right? You want it to be separate. So then this is a gradient copy and this is just a copy of the gradient with some noise running through it to break things up more so. And then I have light variation and then I have light damage. And then I have normal. Now, What's normal must normal? be some normal. That must be normal information somewhere that I, I chose to put here. This is just high and normal. So, yeah, this is just high and normal information. Skin calf. So I decided to put skin calf on this instead of something else. And I'm guessing that was just, yeah. So this must be from testing. So, for example, mm -hmm. again, I'll have Marmoset open and I'll yeah. test different things and I'll see what works. If I don't get a result or if I don't get a feeling that I think is right, but I'll try something out of field like this. Um, and this would have just been what worked for me. That's um, actually a really good point to stop at too. Mm -hmm. Do you usually work making sure that you have substance and marmoset up? Like, is there a phase where you've got both and you're really grinding yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. So when I drop my base, everything base in, then I'll just have substance up, right? Because that's just dropping everything in. But mm -hmm. then once I'm actually thinking to look at it as an overall character, I need both open and I need the lighting to be changed simultaneously while I'm changing my texture. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it's it's the look development stage. In VFX, you'd say look development. Well, in games, people don't really use the term, but that's my look development stage. So I can work on everything at the same time because everything needs to work together. It's not just I texture this in this one scenario and then it works across everything. Um, and you'll you see that I have... Oh, go on. Do you try to make substances lighting and substance look the same as Marmoset? Or at a certain point, do you just not care and you're just in Marmoset trying to make Marmoset? Oh, no, I'm just... Yeah, no, I'm just in Marmoset trying to make it look really good. But I have different lighting setups. So I'll have a, a lighting setup where everything's just flooded out so I can see to make sure nothing's too extreme. I'll have yeah. a lighting setup that's ideal for my situation. And I'll probably have a dark one as well to just see how it reads in that situation. Got it. Yeah. So that's yeah, this is the roughness secondary. And this is just... So in the color, I will have some roughness information. And then if I feel a need to add another roughness, then... I'll add this roughness to break things up, but I'll know I'll separate it. So I know if I need to build on that, I can. And then this pattern is just the pattern on hair, which I've kept out here because it just goes over the top of everything. Um, and again, I've liked this pattern. So this is a pattern with a fill layer and then a levels adjustment on the height to really make sure that it works for what I want anyway. Um, so you can see this is how it was previously. What? I turned that down and I probably turned down the opacity as well. Yep, so I turned down the opacity as well in this layer. So, and again, you can see that all of these things, it's not just, so this is a good example because it's simple, right? But let's go to the, so let's go to the height. So you can see that without this, I don't think I have anything in the base one. So give this a second, guys. Come on. I should put this down to 2K. Almost there, almost there.
Okay, cool. So you can see that without this, I have, this is my base pattern. This is set to um, six in terms of opacity. Then I have a fill layer on top of that. So that fill layer, you can see how subtle it is um, because mm -hmm. I've turned it down. But that's just an overall noise and everything to not make everything feel so uniform. Mm -hmm. Then on top of that, I've went in and I've added this height adjustment to bring everything else down. That fill layer is still present. It's a lot more prominent now, um, but it's still the same as it was before. But without turning the opacity of this of this fill down to six that low, you won't know that the other one's underneath. And it, a lot of this is about subtlety. My height layers are very rarely anything above 10 or 15. Mm. Um, so that's how I build things up in different layers. And you can see I have normal information there as well. And that's normal underneath all of this. But again, inside of Marmoset, when I'm viewing it, if I'm not happy with it, then I'm going to add takeaway or reevaluate what's not working and what is. Awesome. Okay, cool. So yeah, that's that's it's the same for everything. So um, this material was the most difficult for me because at first I wanted it to read as silk, and we're working with metalness values and metallic, and to get that working is 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 sort of awkward. Paul Wadelski, one of the instructors that you have, he has a brilliant breakdown on that. Um, and after I saw his breakdown, I went to experiment with that a little bit more. Um, but yeah, to get this working was a little bit awkward, so I decided to change the material slightly, but then it still has the shine and those speckles inside of this material. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one of the more complex material on here, so I'm not really going to try and change it, I don't think. But you can see, so yeah, we have the, so for this one, this is a good example because on a lot of the leather and other materials, sometimes I'll start with a base, sometimes I won't. On this leather, I don't think it is a base because the leather has a specific feel to it. So I made a stylized leather preset. Um, that's just a quick preset for that. Yeah, I don't think we'll get through showing this. But I'll show the build-up for this anyway. Mm -hmm. So I start with the silk. It's just the normal red silk material. And the normal red, red silk material, when you apply that, it looks good by, it looks good by itself because all of these materials inside of Substance, they're PBR shaders, they're PBR materials. They work. They look decent. But notice just how much things go on top of that. There's light which is probably just, um, so that's more roughness and metallic changes. Then there's a grunge to that, with it, which is more roughness and color. And then those are layered grunges. Then there's a dirt on top of that, which affects the metalness because you don't want it to be as shiny in those areas or as metallic in those areas. There's scratches on hair. And it's really just built up. Inside of hair, this viewport doesn't actually do it justice because a lot of this is affecting the roughness, which is affecting how the light hits the surface. Which um, you don't see until you're in Marmoset, right? Exactly. So yeah. that's hence why I think you really should have both of them open with a lighting setup that's either, if you're doing this for production, ideally yeah. you'd have a lighting setup that's in-game already. Okay, cool. So yeah, that's that's how I go ahead and break down all of my materials while working. And okay, it's, that's it's going to be the same throughout, so we can I, jump I into like Marmoset. Yeah, I like to liken this to kind of building a texture machine. It's the way I've been thinking about it now. Because mm -hmm. um, so much of it is just procedural and automatic, and you just need to throw things in as opposed to yeah. paint it, massage it, and worry about it. The first thing yeah. is you get yeah, all yeah. the layers in. This is so much work, you know, so many layers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because in the beginning, it is a lot more about discipline and seeing it through. Mm -hmm. And then once you have exactly. everything there, tying it together, that part's when it becomes a lot more fun. Actually, one final thing inside of Substance, I'll show you guys yeah. the lens layer. Yeah, Marmoset's chugging so much. Uh, the which layer? And sorry? everything's turned off as well. The blend layer that goes over oh, everything that I think ties it together. Because I do two things in there, so while this is going, I have both 
So let me go back into substance. So inside of there, I normally experiment with a curvature map, which I just put on the edges. And this is, again, very subtle. We'll see in a second. But I put on all the edges to add emphasis to them. So it's essentially like if you have things rubbing against the surface of your clothing or anything like that, the curvature map will be that. I normally do that for fabric. So it's, it's like um, a layer that you have slightly less saturated and then higher on the lightness scale so that you get that dry look to the edges. So I'll do that to everything. And let's go in here. So on the blend layers. And again, when we see it, it may be subtle, but inside of Marmoset, it's effective. So let me turn this on. Just a second. So let's go on and off. So you guys can see what that's doing. So I'm pushing, and for the PBR workflow, you don't need to add ambient inclusion because all of that's dealt with in engine, but I still like to push that contrast sometimes if I feel mm -hmm. like it's warranted. So in this case, that's what we did. So I have the AO dirt here, which AO dirt's perfectly fine as well. And you can see how that really just pulls everything together and makes those edges and um, connection points darker. And in here, there's tons of stuff. So we have a cloud texture, yes. we have painted layers, we have levels yeah. to change those, and we have a fill. So Again, what are you filling it with? Um, what am I filling it with? Let's have a look. Come on. So I'm filling it with, okay, so I'm just filling it with the ambient occlusion mask. Then I adjust that mask. So let me turn this off. Cool. So this is how it just looks. And I'm putting all of this inside of the mask layer. So in the mask layer, we use this black and white mask. So let me just turn this on so we can have a look. So we start with this mask, right? So this mm -hmm. says anything that's white is on, anything that's dark is off. Then I go in and I adjust the level. So I invert that so that we get the areas that are on to be the creases and the areas yeah. that are off to be the general form. Then I paint out these little errors and things like that in the bakes. Oh, I paint out the scarf in this case, actually. And then I go inside of here and I add that noise inside mm -hmm. of there to break that up and make it feel a lot more like dirt. Um, mm -hmm. And let's go to the base color. And you can see that this is set to a multiply layer and this is set down to 75%. So again, just going in, making it feel right. And 75 subtle enough, you sometimes think that you need it to be lower, but also the way this is painted on, or the way the rest of the dust painted on, which I'll get to in a second. So for the normal information, I multiplied the normal because I didn't think it was intense enough in this case. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I kept that, maybe I didn't. And then with the dirt layer, this is just painted dirt in random areas. Um, okay. And this one was actually important for me. And this was painted with the smudge brush. So I just put a brush stroke down and then smudged everything with that brush. And that was really effective for it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this was vital for just things in the lighting and breaking things up in the level. You just see those little nicks inside of the level because this hardly has any, or it has tons of roughness on it. So then that really breaks up the lighting and that's how I use it. So I use it in an artistic way more than anything because in the base color, you don't really see it. But then with the lighting information on it, that's when it really shines. Um, so yeah, that's blend layer. So now we can jump into Marmoset. And then, yeah, we're here inside of Marmoset. So keep in mind that I'm doing that simultaneously while working inside of here and having my lighting. So a few things I'll go over in Marmoset quickly is this isn't directly to do with Marmoset, but explore when you're working. I say that to say I have this folder called Dragons. No one sees dragons inside of this um, whenever they look at it online. But I did a huge long phase of just putting dragons in and seeing how they would work for the what? sake of it, seeing what scale would work well. I'll turn them all on in a second. So I have this one, then I have this one laying down. 
have this guy with the wing around. And this is, in, in my, all my breakdowns and everything, I always write about this, explore different ideas, see what works. This one's a textured bust version. Yeah. Um, see what doesn't work. Because the reason why is because I saw the concept and I was like, oh, you know, I must have seen someone's work. And I said, oh, that's really inspiring. And I like that. Therefore, I want to make this more. But then a couple of weeks later, I looked at it and I said, okay, now I'm just grasping at straw's hair. The concept is definitely good enough to stand by itself. And I don't need that. Therefore, I scrapped it. And that's another thing. Don't feel afraid to scrap an idea just because you spend, I spent a good amount of time on that dragon. You can see it was textured. It was fully modeled. The wings, <laughs> your wings were open and closing, but you yeah. don't need it if it doesn't work. What? So, so. That's pretty amazing. And uh, <laughs> I think Michael's actually asking the perfect question. How do you not get attached? Because that was two weeks of your life, you said. Oh, the dragon was way more than two weeks. Um, <laughs> but you, I guess you don't get attached because, I don't know, for me, and I, I mentioned this in the course a lot, when I'm speaking about this type of thing, it's a lot more to do with the art than it is to do with the job. And I mentioned about looking for a job versus doing art. Um, when you're working, you're a production artist. When you do these types of things, you're an artist. The point isn't to make things that's cool. or It's to make things that's cool, but it's not to make things cool for the sake of being cool. It's to mm. make things work or to make a character feel like how you want them to feel. And that doesn't mean putting the most, the biggest, most bombastic thing with that character. It means making that character work and fit perfectly and tell some type of story that you want it to. Um, so I think the aim just needs to be different. It's not doing things for the sake of it. It's doing things for the sake of your character. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, we have that. So separate from all of those things, I also did stuff like add peach fuzz and things like that which I took off because it was so heavy. And again, even with um, in the article on level 80, I'm sort of asked about the detailing on the height map and things yes. like that. And sort of um, are there skin pores and everything else? There's skin pores. Everything's there that needs to be there. It's just that for a lot of it, I, it, it wasn't warranted. It, it didn't need it. With the concept as well, it's a painterly concept. Therefore, you don't need to add really high level skin pore detail if mm -hmm. it doesn't communicate the same thing that you want the concept to communicate and that's that's really all it is so i just turned those down a lot more everything is there and you can see how it's affecting the normals but it's just very subtle so with the lighting so here's here's where we go into marmoset territory now with the lighting let me go into so this is my main lighting setup this is the one that i like let me change this so I love that you have folders for rim and fill. All, so we already know it's not like, I got a rim light. It's like, yeah, you've got yeah. rim lights. You can't, yeah, you can't just, it, the thing, you know, actually, this is, this is important to say. Yeah. Um, the reason why I started lighting like this is because of an interview you had with someone uh -huh. and they were speaking about their lighting process in Unreal Engine. Mm -hmm. And they said that they paint the model with light. Now I've heard that a ton, right? Mm -hmm. But when he demonstrated how he does it, I said, because I always had a thing with presentation where my work before the Skeleton Warrior character, I could never nail down presentation. But right. when he said that and the way he demonstrated it, that showed me that I didn't need to be limited by everything that I saw. And for example, with movies, movies never just say, oh, yeah, we're going to put one a three-point light setup, not have any other fake bounce I know, light. right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So from that point, I took off all of that thing and I just said, okay, let me light how I want to light it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, it's like the photographer being like, yeah, I only use one light. Come on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you use like everything under the sun because your job is to make an image that impresses somebody. So you get a job. 
Yes, yes. It's not to restrict yourself to some arbitrary rule you have in your head. Yeah. Um, inside of here, I have my key light. So for my key light, I just have one light, as you guys can see. Um, and that's just the upper light. And then I have um, fill lights, so specific for the body. So let's turn those off. So you can see that's just mainly for the front of the body, and there's just a few lights inside of that folder. So mm. upper and lower parts of the body. And the way I think about separating it, so you guys are seeing it. Obviously, you might not know how I'm thinking about this, but when I'm doing this, the way I'm thinking about separating it is saying, okay, when I put this light down, does it cover enough area? And if the answer is yes, then that's fine. But if the answer is it doesn't cover enough of the model and it's bleeding to areas that I don't want to be lit, then I use another light. So if that's interfering with things I don't want it to interfere with, I'll just say, okay, let me leave that to this defined region and then use something else to light that other region. Mm. So that's why, hence why we have the upper and the lower. So one lighting the skirt and then one lighting the chest. And then we have the upper and with the with the fill key lights. So the key light is lighting the main part of my image, the main part that I want to see. So let me actually turn off my fill light. So let me, if I turn off my fill light, turn off my rim light, and then just put on my key light. This should, this should communicate what you want the image to be. You, you don't need much more than this. So I want okay. you to focus on the character. I want the character's expression and the character's look tells the rest of the story as long, along with, you know, the set dressing and stuff like that. Mm. But I want you to look at the face and then everything else is accompanying that character. Mm. Then we go with the fill light. So then I'm saying, okay, I want there to be some gradient up the sword. That's more to do with the concept because this is why texturing and lighting is important. This isn't just texturing, this gradient that you're getting with the sword from top to bottom, and that's not just lighting. That's a combination of both. And it was important for me to have both things open to be able to get that in a convincing way, rather than, because if I only had textures open, I would have just put the gradient in the texture, and then maybe it would have looked wrong, or it would have looked strange, or it would have looked bad. With the, so with the arm and everything else, a lot of the other things are about as well spelling out detail. So with the hair, the reason why I have a feel like there is because I spent all that time on the hair. I don't want that to get lost in darkness and I don't want no one to be able to see it. You, you, yeah. I want you to see the details of it. But with the face, I didn't want that to go onto the face because I want this side of the shape face to be shadowed so you get the curvature around the face and you really feel the light wrapping around it. Mm. Um, with the, You can see everything works without the rim light as well. The rim light, it, you'll see what it does in a second. So the rim light obviously separates everything, but the rim light is subtle. But yet still, we still have a decent amount of rim lights in there. It's not just one rim light, or it's not just one directional light. So we have one for the hair haloing back, so that's really separate from the background. And again, I didn't make it any bigger because I loved how it was reacting with just this chunk of the hair. If mm -hmm. it bled onto the front, it just didn't look very good. So that, hence why I separated it out. I know we have a question. Feel free to stop me at any time and ask questions as well. Yeah. And then we have the hand. The hand was really important. So with the hand, I needed this leather strap to be separate from the background because this breeze is very bland. It's one tone all the way up and down. Um, mm. So that needs some type of separation in there. So hand. And then with the shoulder, again, it just needed something. That's to break up that tone again. And You know, this, that's, it's sorry to interrupt, but that's actually a really good point when you were talking about how it's not just texture, it's texture and light. Because mm. when you're looking at that hand, that looks like texture. Yeah. But it's not. So it's you're painting with light, you're painting with the texture. So. Yeah. 
And it's, it's difficult to know which one to do when. But basically with texturing, if you want that to be grounded in, in physical accuracy, then you can do that. And then you can say, OK, I'm going to use the rest of it to really dictate the lighting. And then you'll do something like a blend layer, like I said, to break up some of the roughness, so on and so forth. Right. But if you want it to be more lighting and then you have wacky textures that maybe you'll be more stylized with the textures where nothing really defines anything. You just want it to feel a certain way. And then you want the light to exaggerate that. You can go that route as well. But I guess the main thing is to not say this has to be like that and I have to work this way. Otherwise, you know, I'll never get this job or anything along those lines because everyone works in the same way. Even if you work left field and you do something totally different to everyone else, it's still within the realm of 3D. You're not doing anything totally crazy because it's still on a machine and it's still working. You're just doing something differently to how most people do it, which isn't a problem. As a character artist, how important is this part of it? What's this? The presentation part of it? Yeah, yeah. Lighting. Like you said earlier, like the lighting and presentation. Uh, I want to I want to open Photoshop and show you guys some stuff, but um, yeah. it will take too long. But basically, what I'll do, what I'll do is, and I'll show you guys this just to show how much emphasis I put on this part. I go into ArtStation before I put anything out into the world, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll go onto the top picks page, and when I'm on that top picks page, I'll scroll down until I see a chunk of work that I say I really want to compete with that. And then I'll take whatever render I have at that stage. I'll take a screenshot of this page, right? So when everything's loaded up, I'll take a screenshot of all of hair, for example. But I go mm-hmm. to top picks because that's the creme de la creme. And then I'll place my character. So I'll, I'll maybe replace this one and put my character in there and see how it fits. And if it looks like it actually merges in with that. If it doesn't, I look and I say, okay, why doesn't that work? So for example, the result of that, this gradient hair. So what I did for the background was I took the concept arts background and drop that inside of um, Photoshop and exported that. So this is just a background texture that I brought inside of here. Mm. But what I did was, I, after that, one thing I noticed about the concept, and it's, it's, a paint, it's a painterly style, it's a beautiful concept, I love the concept, but the lighting's a lot flatter than I've done it for 3D. And I had to punch my one out, because if I had that flat lighting, it wouldn't have caught people's eye. But I only knew that when I dropped this render out, and that's another important thing, you have to render it and see it in the 2D view to notice. You don't see it in 3D. You have to get that image on your machine and view that in Photo Viewer or Photoshop to actually see it. But once I placed that amongst everything else, I realized, okay, it's too flat. I need to do something else. So I darkened the right-hand side and I brightened this side to add that contrast. And here, you may not see it, but in the thumbnail, where people need to see it to be able to click on it and actually know who you are, that's where you notice it. So you really have to test those things before you even go out and post, if you're not sure about presentation, because I very much doubt my presentation skills, or before this, I doubted it a lot more. So if you doubt something, put all the stops out and put roadblocks in your way to make sure you're doing these extra little checks if it doesn't come naturally to you. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So to answer the question, it's incredibly important. (laughs) Yes, very important. (laughs) Otherwise, no one clicks on your work. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. All right, so we've gone through high res, low res, a little bit of UVs. We kind of skipped the baking part, but we yeah. went into the the texturing, which is mm-hmm. the lion share of the problem. Mm-hmm. We're in Marmoset, and you're in the final presentation. So this is the whole picture, or is there more? Um, this is pretty much the whole picture, except for those. So I spend a good amount of time after this. Uh, like I said, at this stage, one second. So at this stage, I spend a good amount of time. So you can see here, I have my notes inside of PureRef. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's from me rendering things out and seeing how it works and what does and what doesn't. This is the other artist. He released his work about 
a day or two before I was going to release mine. And when I looked at his and I saw how good it looked and I said, okay, I need to push my one again now. Um, because it's done by the same concept artist. It's two mm-hmm. of it. It's his character for both. Um, yeah. And I thought his work was brilliant. So I took my time and I looked at that. But that's a part of the process as well. Again, if you've done something and you've spent so long on it and you really don't want to just put it out for the sake of it and you want it to be that great, take your time on it. There's no need. No one's telling you to put it out yet. There's, you know, there's no time limit on what you can do. Obviously, don't take too long. But yeah. And I also compare and contrast to my old work and other work that I think is really good. Um, so that's that's a big part of the process towards the end of it, towards the final week. And I normally ask for feedback from friends and other people working in the industry at about the final two weeks. So I can get what people feel when they look at it and I can also see their reaction to it. And then I can actually make changes based on that with two weeks, but not go crazy um, with changes and not change everything. Got it. So that's the final part of the process, really. That's awesome. All right. So we'll uh, open this up for questions, although we've been asking them as we go. And these would be questions mm-hmm. pertaining to the classes. And then we'll let the people go that are here in the webinar just to hear about this and then jump over and take a look at some student work. Cool. Um, so Tola is asking a question that people ask a lot. So I'd love your take on how you answer this, which is how much time do you spend on these things? You kind of answered it, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. So with this character, I spent about four months on her now two of those months were spent exploring with the dragon and everything else and actually making that dragon making it functional everything else the character itself was about a month and a half and that's that's typical for most of my characters it's about a month and a half for the character itself if we're taking that from start to finish awesome okay great and jose we answered your question in there and then jose was asking about whether or not the details were done in um, texture sculpt and so i'm not quite sure Jose, which phase you were talking about, so let us know. Okay, well, in terms of that, as actually me and my colleague were actually speaking about this the other day, I think previously, or for VFX, right, for film and commercials, it makes sense to do it in the sculpt because you have about 20Ks worth of resolution to really, sorry, I'm just referring to the closed scratches. The closed scratches, they're mainly done inside of Substance Painter. But I would, if I was working in film, I would do that because I have about 20Ks worth of texture to use on a, a lot of these assets, right? Not mm-hmm. even just the entire character. But then for games, it's a lot more, you're not communicating one-to-one what you're seeing in the sculpt. It's a lot more about the feeling that you're communicating through the texture and the sculpt combined. So getting your secondary forms really solid and then making that sing with textures to fake and cheat that however you can, that's the aim for games. Whereas form, it's more one-to-one. You do it in the sculpt, which is where I think a lot of people get that from. Because you really don't see half of it in the sculpt if you do anything for games and you're baking back down to a 1K texture, which is what we're still using for a lot of things. 2K max, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, that looks like about all the questions of people we have here live. I think I was able to thread through most of them in the conversation. No so we're going to say bye to the people that are just in the webinar. And for the rest of you guys and for the students, stay in. And then we will um, we'll start looking at some work. All right. So let's take a look at work, folks. And we'll switch the screen over to my screen, probably, because I don't think we have... Oh, Akeem's in the... You should be in the network. Let's do this because Travis is right there at the area, and I want to make sure that we're getting Travis. Okay, I have a, I have an agenda here. Travis <laughs> is, um, to me, done and ready, but I, he's still taking classes, okay. and I want to get him out of the classes mindset and into the just get, just grind for that job. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. 
Let me here. Let's switch to my screen because I have access to all the groups. Yep, no problem. All right. Let me know if you can see my screen. Okay. Yeah, I can see your screen now. Okay, great. Oh, do I have Julie in here? I do have Julie. Okay, great. All right, guys. Please, I'm gonna look at Travis. I'm gonna look at Julie's work. That's just right off the top of my head. So I know I'm missing some people. Please put a link into your work ASAP so I know how many people because we only have so much of Akeem's time. So put that in ASAP. All right, but here you go. Here's Travis's work. This is the result of, okay. from the bootcamp. Mm. And I'll just cycle through. Okay, so cool. when we look at the work, right, the way I like to do this is just what is it that's telling you that he's still an amateur and not ready for the job? And what is it that's mm -hmm. telling you he's ready for the job and he's not an amateur anymore, right? Like that, okay. I just like to keep it really focused on job, job, job. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. So the things that's telling me that he's ready is that it's a complete character. It's a character that looks good. Yep. I can get a read of everything. I know what's supposed to be happening, right? And yep. I know what it's supposed to communicate. Now, the things that are telling me that it's still not fully there yet are things like the hands, how they're positioned like they are there. Mm -hmm. It's things like the overall sort of the position of the character. It just, it feels like it wasn't finished. It feels like it was just done, which we all just, we finish at a stage, right? We leave something where it is at a stage. But it doesn't yeah. feel like that polished stage was done at the end. And I think that's the main thing about it. It's, it's just that polishing stage that requires another week or two of just going in and really honing everything in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. I think, but overall, awesome. I think it's definitely there. Cool. All right, Travis, questions, shout them out. Julie. All right. And we will work here. Okay. Well, this character I really like. I was reading through the breakdown article as well. I really enjoyed the hair. To be honest, I think this character is pretty much there because those things that I mentioned about Travis's character, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of that is addressed here. Mm -hmm. um, places that we could push it, I think, is more to do with the lighting than anything else. But again, I think that's just a few changes and a few tweaks. It's not, there's not anything major. With the face, the, yes. there's certain forms in the face that come across as a little weaker. Like the infraorbital furrow, I don't really get a read of that. The nasal labial fold, it's not that I expect to get rid of it because it's a fairly young character, right? But yeah. the bridge of that feels a little awkward. The proportion of that feels a little bit awkward. So mm. there's that tiny, and when I'm saying this, I'm nitpicking, right? I'm looking for something. So there's that tiny bit of that there. But overall, again, if you had an art director to tell you, ah, oh, please change that and change this, you're there. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. Questions, Julie, shout them out. Oh, one thing I did notice was the hair, the hairline. So uh, the way that right the there. hair is, yeah, bleeding into the skull, that one could have been fixed. And it, it seems like more of a rush thing than anything else. But that's that's the only thing with that. Okay, great. That's easy to fix too. I mean, if you exactly. want to go exactly. back to Julie. <laughs> Julie was on, how long were you on this, Julie? It was uh, <laughs> seven months. Okay, like that, okay. You yeah, know, I mean, it was on and off. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was, this is like, Julie's a great example of, I think, one, the reason why I love teaching, and mm -hmm. two, the power of just grinding, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, and I tell the students this all the time, you could change, it takes one model to change your life, because that's, it's yeah. just one model that they need to see yeah. that knocks their socks off, and they're like, good, we're going to get you, and we're going to get you cheap, because we're your first employer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I guarantee you, they're looking to get cheap labor, so... Yeah, but I will say as well that yeah. since Julie spent about seven months on this character, 
the yeah. next character. Ne- I, I usually do the next two characters. When I see someone's work and I say, you're almost there. The next yeah. two characters, you're going to be blowing everyone away. Yeah, awesome. All right, Joey. So with Joey's character, I'll, I'll look at a few more images as well. This one's not from the boot camp. So okay, it's from yeah. yeah, just from something else. Yeah. All right. With this, it's not a bad character by any means. I think the main thing with this, right, isn't to do with what you've done necessarily. It's more to do with the design of the character. There's some awkward proportions for me. It's like the chest to waist to legs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of the, yeah, it's very thin waist. The, the shoulders are broad, but then they're not. It's, it's more to do with the design than anything else for me. The execution, which is pretty much what you're focused on, that's done very well. The lighting again, it's not that the lighting's bad. The face is very dark, for example. If I was to make this black and white, I'd see the white strip on the face, yes. But the expression is very neutral. I wouldn't really, I don't really know what he's thinking. And I get that he's holding that weapon, but with him, and this is more thought to your character. And again, I mentioned this in the course, but with him holding his helmet and holding that weapon, it's what's the intention there? I don't get an intention from him. And I think that's the main, it doesn't have to be anything dramatic or anything like that. It's just, there isn't an intent right now. And I think those things are, it's more theory and more you exploring than it is me saying you're not doing well because this character looks very good. Got it. Great. Thank you. All right, Joe, you got questions to shout them out? All right, Alyssa, which one do you want me? Whoa, this one improved, Alyssa. That's great. Let's take a look at the character. Okay. And I know you're not necessarily wanting to jump back into this one, Alyssa, because this is another one. Where this is Alyssa grinded on this for a while. So now we yeah, need to yeah. see the next one, Alyssa. Yeah. Um, but made huge strides in dealing with all the complexity. I actually think yeah. these are better images to start with, Alyssa, actually. Okay. Well, so let me start here. Yeah. Overall, again, really nice character. In terms of nitpick, for example, if I saw this character in Horizon Zero Dawn, it wouldn't throw me off being in that world, right? I wouldn't say, oh, that looks weird or that looks low quality even everything else because mm-hmm. it doesn't. But I do think that the, especially having the fur and everything, like that's really impressive. But yeah. I do think that the design, again, there could have been more breakup in the chain mail. The way that, that um, the fabric tucks into the sort of skirt or cloth around his waist, that's pretty awkward, right? And it's more to do with smaller storytelling beats. Like the skull's there, but the skull's very much spelled out. If for things like skulls on, on a character, if it's tucked away in the back and you see a peak of it, that creates intrigue. When it's put to the forefront of a character, that says, I collect skulls. And it's, it's not intrigue. You're spelling it out for everyone. So again, mm. I think it's more design than anything else. You're not letting people read into it too much. Um, but again, that's theory more than anything. The metals read well. The chainmail reads well. The fabric reads well. So all of those things, that's like, you want to nail that as a character artist, you have. But the, the reason why I mentioned this stuff so much as well is because employers, when they're looking at your work, the wow factor needs to come in before it even gets to the technical factor because someone's work can be amazing and not technically so sound, but then maybe the employee's just like, oh my gosh, I need to know this person just based on that initial emotional response to it. Um, so that's very important when you're looking for work. Yeah, that's great. That's a great point because I know as artists, we're always focused on the craft. And so the technical stuff really comes to the forefront. But I, I agree with you. I mean, in all the conversations I have with HR and with execs, you know, they're looking for talent. They use the word yeah. talent specifically. Yeah. And that's not, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a mouse jockey. I'm looking yeah, for exactly. talent. Exactly. And you don't want to be that because if you get a job like that and you have to do one thing for the rest of your career, and more than like, some people <laughs> love that, but more than likely you won't like that. No. <laughs> no. 
but really good character. All right. Jose. All right. Okay, so with this character, straight away, the thing that jumps out at me mm-hmm. is um is the anatomy. But that's not to say the anatomy is bad, right? It's to say that so when I'm looking at anatomy, I'm looking for lighting and shadow. There isn't much lighting and shadow going on. And it's a female character, so there shouldn't be too much anyway. But the way you've lit it, as well as the anatomy, they both read into that. Also, things like the palm. The palm that I'm seeing right now, that's not defined. The silhouette is fairly flat. And things like that come out at me. And same thing for the facial expression. Things like that stick out. And you're actually doing a facial expression versus the other characters that didn't really have one. So... We can rely on a crutch in not really having a facial expression. But then when you do something as difficult as a facial expression, you really do need to nail it to sell that feeling. Because, for example, if all your characters great and then the face is awkward or you have it's those lines at the bottom of the lip, right, when it's holding down. If those lines are present in a character that's otherwise great, because we do put so much emphasis on the face, that takes away a lot of the hit. Same thing with the eyes as well. If I would say anything on this character that I don't like is the eyes. That's the only thing I would say that I don't like at this stage. Because I'm not getting a really good read of it right now. Is there any close-up shots of the face? Let's take a look. Voila. Cool. Yeah, it looks it looks like there's something. It looks like there's something up with the with the shader on the eyes. I don't know what it is, but yeah, there's something strange about the eyes itself, just because of how they read. And again, maybe it's your lighting, maybe your HDRI is too high, something along those lines. Maybe there's there's metalness or something. It feels like that in the shader. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, aside from that, it's not a bad character by any means. It's more your lighting. I'd say definitely work on anatomy a little bit, make it feel a little more natural. This feels very much like a high-res textured version of a older school GTA game. In the, obviously, the character's aesthetic looks like that but also the lack of definition. Whereas right now, if you look at current gen characters, we have all that definition. Just look at what Frank Zeng did with Nathan Drake and Uncharted to up-res him to current generation technology. That's mm-hmm. what you're aiming for when you do this type of work, to be able to compete at that level. So yeah, just refine a little bit more. And again, from your thumbnail read, that's why an attention on art station doesn't equate to much. It doesn't equate to anything really. But the attention, when you're seeing this on a small thumbnail, it mm-hmm. does come to those flaws because we're looking for that straight away. So again, it's a good character. Don't let that say anything about the character. In your next two characters, you're another one that you're definitely going to have a really good character because you know the pipeline now and it's little things that you're refining. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you so much. All right, guys, you want to know more about this class, which is open to you all? You head over to gameartinstitute.com forward slash classes. It's right over there with Akeem. All right, this is a live class. That's where you're going to be meeting with Akeem live. You meet once a week. It's a class, not a boot camp. And, um, and he's going to be walking you through all this stuff. He's actually already preparing all of the content. You've heard him kind of talk about it as yeah. he goes through and does that. So it's already getting kind of prepared for you guys. And there'll be a live Q&A. Uh, once yeah, yeah. So with can I, oh, yeah. once everyone's gone, I, I want to ask you something, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, Thank I'll, you, everyone. I'll, I'll just uh, I'll Skype you. Or okay. anyways, I'll, I'll email you how we connect. Okay, cool. All right, because I got to close this out. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. If you have questions, you know where to find me. And uh, just shoot me a message, and I'll I'll forward them off to Akeem. Um, and we can go from there. Let me check in with this. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks, thanks Julie. Thanks, all of you guys. And thanks, Ryan, as well, by the way. Thank you very Absolutely, much. Absolutely, Akeem. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing all this.
All right, thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.